Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Starting the week off right, I hope. I hope your weekend was full of rest, tons of joy and pleasure, and as much self-care as is possible. Again, we're trying to do that every single day. That's the way we really focus on mental health and uh Give us the best foundation upon which we can be resilient to deal with whatever goes on. Got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about how to deal with toxic people in your life because, um, yeah, it turns out we often have uh, threads of it, if not fully identified people that are toxic in our lives. And then we're going to be spending uh, some time talking about sleep mistakes. We'll be sprinkling that throughout the week, spending some time focusing on sleep. It's something that's uh, really powerfully important for our physical and mental health. So we'll be talking about sleep mistakes, also ways to stay asleep. We'll be talking about that later in the week when we wake up. But uh, got a great show planned. DMs, as always, if you got a DM for us, put them in our Loveline IG page right on in there in the DMs and uh, give us a follow. So Uh, Just talking about some stuff in the news. I love this one. Uh, Catherine McPhee, she rose to fame from Idol. You don't hear much about the Idol kids anymore, at least I don't. But then she went on to have a phenomenal career as a singer and an actress. Well, she married David Foster, who's well known for writing almost every great pop song. And they have a huge age gap, like huge. Uh, She had a child. They got pregnant. Uh, They're in love. They're married. He's 40. I'm sorry, 40. He's 71 and she's 35. Now, they're in the headlines again because people are really challenging and questioning their love. And it really bums me out when people do that because love manifests itself where it manifests itself. And if we're really living in reality, love is rooted in things that aren't tied to things like chronological age. Now, of course, I'm talking about being 18 and over. So unfortunately, I feel like I have to give that caveat. But once we've hit that age, we can't assume that some kind of age differential or a large age gap is rooted in anything bad or negative. It can be, but people dating within a few years of each other can also be rooted in, you know, toxic problematic forms that are driving that connection. So please don't assume that because people are in the same age bracket that they're equally empowered and that the reasoning is right. Just like it's unfair to assume that if the man or woman is older, that inherently they don't have something to offer. That's offensive. David Foster probably has a lot to offer and that's why she's in love with him. We can't get hung up on, well, who would like someone that old? A lot of people. And we do that. We see people that are in a relationship where one person's far more attractive than the other, or one person's larger bodied and the other isn't. We make a lot of assumptions that that person couldn't possibly be desired or worthy of love. It's offensive, it's bigoted, it's problematic. But also when we believe that we keep ourselves single or we keep ourselves from finding good friends or love because a lot of people even choose their friends from the position of how attractive they are, what privileges do they have, even without realizing we can have age gap friendships 
where there's something beautiful that can emerge from having friends that are in a, a distinct um, decade or age bracket than we are. Let's let's get outside the confines of this idea that chronological age necessarily promises or mean anything means anything because it doesn't. I work with a lot of individuals that are farther ahead in chronological years and have no emotional maturity, no relational health, and there's people that are far younger that have both in abundance. Um, and more importantly, Catherine's an adult. Let's trust her decision making and trust her when she says, "I love this person." Right, because it's also a little patronizing and condescending to look at a relationship from the outside and act as though you know better, and you're going to tell them what that's really about. You know, um, I always get irked when I see that come up because it's just not fair, and that's ageist applied at both. That at 35 she can't be taken seriously for her decisions, and at 71 he couldn't possibly be desired by someone in her age bracket. That's not kind. That's not fair, and that's just not honest. Just that's just absolutely not how it goes. Right. We've also been seeing uh, in the news, and I keep watching the developing story because these things develop. Marjorie Green, CrossFit, was like, look, we don't want to be identified with her. She's someone who early, early, early on when we first got introduced to her, this was during Trump's presidency, she had posted a picture. I will not forget this. This was well into last year. A picture of her in a hotel room doing CrossFit. And CrossFit's like, we don't want to be associated with this racist bigot who also turns out to be understandably deeply transphobic because that aligns with a lot of these other forms of bigotry. But uh, yeah, CrossFit does not want to be identified with her. I think that's hilarious. Um, and that's kind of what happens is brands, their ethics matter and they don't want to be associated with someone who has really been putting out problematic messaging, you know? And again, that's not cancel culture, that's consequences. You can't say things that are violent and oppressive and then think brands want to be associated with you. You know, that's just not how the world works in any capacity. Um, and then finally, I thought this was really interesting. So we might have the world's first space space, uh, world's first space hotel. Uh, and that might be opening, uh, construction is going to start in 2027 for the opening. Why does that feel way too soon? It would have a bar. It would have a cinema. Um, 2027, <laughs> that's only like six years from now, but, uh, it would be named, Voyager class space station. And again, it would be a hotel with the world's first space hotel. It would accommodate 400 people. So, um, yeah, it's not, you know, it's like eh, sized, but, uh, as well as hotel rooms, the ambitious hotel that they're calling it would also have its own bar, cinema, restaurants, and a spa. I don't know. I guess I'd have to see how expensive that is, but if it's doable, my God, what an interesting thing to be a part of. Imagine the views you're going to get from up there. That's probably one of the massive selling points, but you got to figure out like, where do we launch from? What's the time commitment, right? Because that wasn't put in there. How long does it take to get there and back? What are the other expectations? But interesting developments. I'm not mad at it. I would love a, a diverse hotel like that. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about toxic people and then focusing on uh, improving our sleep health. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about toxicity, toxic people in our lives. This is something that's really important. Remember that in uh, terms of mental health, we are influenced by those around us. Our self-esteem is actually relational esteem, right? How we feel about ourselves is an accumulation of what people reflect back about our worth and our value. And so it's always important to have really healthy people around you, but also not just in, in terms of relational esteem, but also in terms of 
uh, confidence. We want people that have a positive impact on us and build us up. We want people that maybe lovingly as a friend will call us out and give us critique. I think that's one of the most beautiful aspects of a, a good solid friendship is having enough trust and care that it's safe for them to say, hey, let me share with you what it's like to be in our relationship or hey, it's been really hard couple weeks or this is what I need from you and, and not get defensive, right? But it's something we have to both work on earning and that's a quality of a really healthy relationship where people feel safe and we're gonna get into what to consider but I wanna just speak really broadly first and kind of ground this. As always, we're looking at ourselves first and we're looking at the impact we're having on others because as we talk about, all the time, uh, we wanna have a positive impact on someone's life, right? Being brought into someone's life, we don't wanna make life harder or, more, or complex, whether we're a friend, whether we're a lover, whether we're a sex partner, whether we're a parent, whether we're an employer or an employee colleague, we all, every single person has the responsibility to positively impact people's lives or to be neutral. We wanna get rid of making it okay for someone to be problematic because of whatever role or title they might carry. But friendship is important more so because that is where we go to have our self-reflected back, right? Community. We are as strong as the community around us and everyone's working on building community that's gonna really give them the support based on who they are. And that's really important more so for those that are victims of trauma, people that are of an exploited or marginalized identity. It's really important to have community so that the wider world, which is very much rooted in white, cis, hetero, able-bodied uh, standards, if we're outside of that in some way, right, intersectionally thinking, if our identity is not necessarily always aligned with that, we have to find ourselves somewhere. But again, we wanna assess how, how, what is our impact on other people's lives? And we don't wanna necessarily be toxic. So again, we're looking at this through the lens of acknowledging who we are and the impact we have, but then of course also looking at the impact others have. Uh, we are only as healthy as, though, as those we spend time around. And that's an important and sometimes difficult thing to consider. If you're thinking about the person you're dating or the person you're married to, right? And you're looking at the impact of colleagues or your job or your friends, and they're having a negative impact or they are toxic themselves, it's gonna be really hard to have your mental health at its most robust. And sometimes people have to make really dis, uh, difficult changes, right? And we've talked on other segments about how hard it is to break up with a friend. We don't really have terms for it. We don't understand the ritual or the process. But the bigger point is just we want to really assess the starting point is, are we toxic? Do we know other toxic people? And we're going to go through some qualities, but I want to just give people this one assessment tool that I apply that you can apply to everything regardless of what we're talking about, whether we're talking about uh, your new relationship with uh, food or the gym, uh, whether you're assessing a job, whether you're assessing a family member or a friend, this is always the assessment. How do I feel before? How do I feel during? And how do I feel after? And that will always help guide you. How do I feel before? How do I feel when I'm thinking about or on my way to meet this friend or when I see them calling, right? Or when I get an email from this person or when I show up at work, how do I feel? Then how do I feel while I'm there or with them? And then even more important is how do I feel afterwards? And if the answer is always bad, negative, full of shame, anxious, depressed, time to make changes in whatever that domain is. If the answer is I feel good or I feel neutral, okay, that's what we're looking for. And that, that is the best assessment tool, especially in early dating, because mental health would mean ideally that all of those different domains in our lives we feel pretty good about. We feel good about the friends in our lives. We're happy when we see them calling. We like the relationship we've formed with you know our caregivers, and if not, we're working on setting boundaries. Or 
building the safety so that we can reflect back and say, listen, mom, we need to talk. I want to have a better relationship with you. And always notice when I'm scripting for you what things can sound like. Always notice my language choice and my tone, right? It's not attacking, right? It's not criticizing. But it's, 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 and remember, before we have these conversations, sometimes you have to build the safety, trust, and transparency so that they're comfortable. We don't want to just out of the blue go in deep if that's not something that's familiar to us and them. But that's ideally what it sounds like. Hey, mom, I need to talk with you. Our relationship's really important and I, I want to be closer, but I need to share with you sometimes some of the things I struggle with within our relationship or how we relate to each other. And then you share. You make requests, you don't criticize, you make requests. It would be great if we talked less about you know this, that, and the other thing. It would mean a lot to me if I heard from you more or maybe we could talk about dot, 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 right? You lovingly reflect back what it's like and you make some requests. That's a sign of a healthy relationship if you're able to do that. All right, when we come back, we're gonna talk about some specific traits that you wanna be aware of so as to navigate some of the possibly toxic relationships in your life. Because again, we wanna make this year all about mental health. And that means really looking at the impact all the different factors and domains of our lives have on us, right? All right, and at some point we'll be, uh, of course, closing out with some DMs. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveland IG page. Coming up next, talking more about improving our mental health via the relationships we're a part of. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about toxic relationships. And again, we're starting with ourselves first as always to look at the impact we are having on others and really assessing, do we make people's lives harder and more complex and maybe more toxic because we're a part of it? Or do we make their life better and easier? Are we a good support network? We don't want to make people's lives harder and I don't care what your role is. Everyone has that accountability and responsibility. We put people in positions of power in our lives, but they still are responsible for the way they impact others. You're not let off the hook, self-esteem, mental health-wise, or even in terms of basic human rights. If you think that your title, or your job, or your role in someone's life means that you're allowed to just be problematic, that's not true. Mental health, human rights, ethics, all those things don't care, right? And so we wanna assess ourselves though. And we're talking a lot about how we wanna look at how we feel before, how we feel during, and also how we feel after, when we're on our way to see that person, when we're on our way to the office, right? When we're on our way to see that family member home for a holiday, or we see this phone, uh, phone, uh, phone call coming in from them, a text message, maybe even an email, that matters. Every, if every time you see this person coming in or you're on your way to see them, or while you're with them or after you leave, you're feeling bad, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling shame, you're feeling guilt, that is a sign that you are in a toxic relationship. And it might be you that's bringing that up and bringing that in, or it might be them. And that means it's time to set a boundary, maybe to create some space, maybe to have a very loving, transparent, intimate conversation with them, or time for you to depart from that relationship. So what are some of the things we wanna think about? First off, toxic people are really manipulative and uh, will often make everything about them. It's that narcissist that no matter what you're bringing to them, no matter what you're talking about that might be about you or about something else, they somehow make it about them or bring it back to them. Either they wanna talk about themselves or somehow they make it about how it impacts them and that becomes the priority, right? Uh, <laughs> some people clinically say that they're uh, perpetrating from the victim stance where they use their fake victimhood as a way to gain power and to control the dynamic. And people often do that. They'll always go to their feelings first and say, you're not listening to me, you're not considering me. And that can get exhausting and that can be very, very, very toxic and depleting. Also, they're very judgmental. 
There's some people in our lives that are toxic because they have a negative impact perspective or thought or opinion about everything and everyone. And again, we want to remember that a lot of people are very flexible and plastic. Either some people aren't aware of themselves or some people have just gotten very familiar with relating in a certain way. And we want to at least first try to change ourselves or them, right? Or uh, let me say it differently. We want to at least give ourselves the opportunity to be different and also give them an opportunity to learn about themselves. So you can say something, and I love this, to like your friend group. You might have some toxic people in your friend group. And instead of just cutting out and running, you say, hey, listen, guys, can we be that group? that really builds people up and we talk better about individuals? Can we be that friend group that doesn't talk negatively and put people down or engage in homophobia or body shaming or racism? Call that stuff out. Hey, I don't wanna talk that way anymore. That was body shaming, let's not do that. Hey, that was homophobic, let's not be that group of friends. Give people an opportunity to learn about themselves and to be better. And if not, then it's time to exit. But you want to at least give them that opportunity. Um, also, like I said earlier, they take no responsibility for their feelings. They make everyone responsible for that. And we see that a lot with parents. Why are you doing this to me? Your dad wouldn't like that. As though somehow, as adults, our lives should be centered around the needs and feelings of others. And at times that makes sense. But generally, some cultures, some families, some religions never really want to honor uh, what a person wants or needs. Right, and you'll hear someone comes at, come out as gay or trans, and the family makes it about them and their feelings about it when it's not their experience. And what should be centered first is this gay or trans person coming out and their sense of safety and their sense of being loved, right? Not how the family feels reactively on the receiving end of it. It's not about them. You're living your life, right? You loved them enough to let them know who you were, and the response should be thank you, right? Their feelings don't matter. That's secondary, that's tertiary, that's down the road. Here's a big one. You know you're in a toxic relationship with someone when they don't apologize. I want parents to apologize. I want friends to apologize. I want bosses to apologize. I want people in positions of power politically and police officers to apologize. No one's above that. Everyone, if you're mentally healthy, is aware of the way they're impacting others. And they say sorry. That's a sign of someone's healthy because people will make mistakes. People will let us down and upset us. We do want to hold space for them to apologize and be accountable. And then we know that they can stick around because it's not will they make a mistake, it's when. But safe people that we know are healthy to keep in our lives are ones that acknowledge that and they tell you how they'll do better, right? We've talked about accountability and apologies before and we'll talk about it again, but healthy people will live from that place. Um, other signs, we talk all this as well about in relationships, one of the things that makes us feel close and safe is reliability and consistency. That doesn't mean everyone's our best friend and we'll check in every day. We have, to, we have to be willing to allow us to have the kind of relationship where everyone's needs are met. And not everyone wants to hear from you every day, and that's okay. That doesn't mean they're not consistent or reliable. It's more about figuring out that compatibility. We don't use that word with friends, but we need to. Not every friend wants that much closeness. And so the reliability or consistency might be, and we talk every once in a week, every once a month, every once in a while, but I know that they're there when I reach out or when I need them, even though it might not be every day. Consistency doesn't mean every day, right? It just means we have a flow and they're there when I need them, right? Oh, there's so much to this. Um, they also care about what's best for you. And that's the final landing point. Toxic people, again, make it about themselves. They don't look out for your best. And I want to talk about that within marriage and romantic relationships. Your partner should be looking out for your best, sometimes to their detriment, maybe, right? We know we're really in a loving, committed relationship when we're put out for the needs of someone we care about and we love. Excuse me, that's a big sign. We'll keep talking about this. Coming up next, though, we're going to slide into those DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. 
All right. <laughs> Sorry for all the background noise. I'm, I'm recording on a glass table. Um, all right. So the DMs as always come from our Loveland IG page. And this one says, Hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Emily. So I got a, uh, here we go. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's certain things that I hear within a question or a scenario that are the immediate, uh, you know, uh, not red flags, but uh, point point of conflict. Uh, so I got a dog with an ex about four years ago. Oh my gosh. We've been broken up for about a year and I just met this new girl and we've been together for about four months. Sounds kind of silly, but my dog hates my new girl. Doesn't sound silly at all. <laughs> he growls at her. And he's even snapped at her. Oh, man. She basically told me that if I don't get him trained, she's either going to leave or she's going to put him down. Oh, my God. I feel like she's overstepping and it's caused a lot of arguments. Is this a silly argument? No. No. Uh, the dog has a right to life, but she also has a right to, uh, to, to feel safe. Yeah, I'm not going to be cohabitating, visiting, or spending time with someone who has a pet that bites me and snaps at me. That's not safe. And it could uh, escalate to something more dangerous. Unfortunately, animals that bite and aren't socialized sometimes do get put down. I don't support that. Um, I think that we have to find alternative methods. Um, <clears throat> but this is part of having a pet. There's responsibility. And that's always my uh, concern right now in COVID with people getting pets and not thinking about what will it mean for me and the pet and what responsibilities will I have when the world opens up again? I'm not as around or as available. We have to think about these things. Um, but yes, if you get a pet, you have to take the responsibility that maybe it won't get along well with your roommate, uh, the person you're dating or whatever it is. And you have to take the steps necessary. You have to decide what means more to you. Um, but I think you can have both go get your dog trained. I, I guess my question would be to you. What's your struggle in choosing that option of getting your dog trained? You, you don't want your girlfriend's safety to matter. Like that's very confusing to me. Um, go get your dog trained, but again, not everyone even likes pets. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't really like dating people that have pets. Um, I think it can be frustrating. I think it can be distracting. I, I think at times it gets in the way of what I'm trying to do. So I, I build that in. Um, I have a cat. Cats are easy. Cats are simple. Cats keep to themselves. Um, yeah, so I get it. Um, I, there's, there's certain pets that I won't date someone if they have one. I'm, I get exhausted by stuff like that. So that's on you. You made that decision, but, um, go get your dog trained. That's like such a non-issue. I don't understand. Um, she's either going to leave or she's going to put him down. Well, I mean, she can't legally put him down. Uh, she could have him put down by calling the authorities, but bigger than that, basically, if you're willing to lose her over not spending the time and money to get your dog trained, that's concerning to me. Just go do that. But I, I'm actually on this topic, have a bigger concern for people that aren't thinking about what it'll mean for the pet to always be around you. Right. And then all of a sudden you go back to work, you go back to life, you go back to the office. And now the pet is spending all of its time at home alone. Um, that worries me. So yeah, we have to think about these things, but, um, you know, when we start dating, we do have to expect our lives to be altered or changed or disrupted. That's how, you know, you're in a relationship, right? Is when all of a sudden you have to accommodate someone else and their needs and their mental health issues, um, all sorts of stuff like that. That's why I advise against people getting pets unless they're in a really, uh, stable relationship or financial or housing situation, because, not all dwellings accept pets. Um, some people aren't in a financial position to care for long, long term. So just think about these things. But if you're on the other end of it, you do have to understand that people become very attached to their pets and pets do have a right to life. It's not just an object that you can dismiss. Um, there is a responsibility in that. <sighs> people don't think about their neighbors. 
right? You have to think about the sounds that a pet might bring into the building you live in, other people you're cohabitating with. I wish people sat down and talked it out more. Um, I wish the people that were adopting out the pets would really make the people that want to adopt sit down and really take and discuss the responsibilities. But um, yeah, just go get your dog trained. This should be somewhat of a non-issue. I'm surprised that it's such a big uh, big deal. All right, uh, coming up next, we're going to be talking about sleep mistakes. Yep, all week we're going to be talking about sleep, health, sleep hygiene, uh, ways to fall asleep, ways to stay asleep. So we'll be coming back and talking about that. And then, of course, closing out the show with uh, some DMs. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the Loveline DMs on our IG page. And uh, you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, as always, over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll on down, look for my little face, click on it, and there they are. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about sleep. My gosh, that is something that is coming up a lot in my life. My sleep has been so thrown off. My friends are talking about it, my family members, clients in my practice. So what are some things we need to remember uh, that will help not ruin an, uh, our sleep? And we talk about sleep hygiene, right? We talk about the space. We talk about how we feel. We talk about social media impact. This is vast because what was really profound for me is I was researching something separate from this. And nonetheless, I kept bumping into experts saying that one of the most important parts of mental health is always going to be amount of sleep. They kept, and they kept saying it in all different kinds of ways. Um, stress levels is tied to it, so is energy. People will talk about not feeling motivated. People will, not, will talk about not feeling focused. And a lot of that is from exhaustion. People talk about not being interested in sex, exhaustion. We focus on work only. And then that's to the detriment of having any energy to then take care of ourselves or participate in other important elements of our lives. And so I'm really coaching people to push back on their work a little bit. Work, you know, end your day sooner. Make your work week shorter if you can. Leave multiple days off over the weekend that are yours. You know, don't be so responsive to email or your phone. Stick it in the drawer for a few hours. We need energy to be present. We need energy to be emotionally regulated. We need energy to have sex drive. We need energy to be the person we want to be. But more importantly, we're on this planet for purpose and meaning and joy and pleasure. And I want people to have the energy and the space to engage in things that give them happiness and joy. It, it shouldn't just be work, work, work. Now, that's the energy piece. The answer to a lot of things is you're not sleeping well or you're not carving out time to rest. But eight to nine hours of sleep, how can we best do that? because that's important. Well, the thing that we hear all the time is regular bedtime. That has been something that I've implemented and it's been beautifully helpful. Going to bed at the same time, it feels good to my rhythm. It feels good to my body, right? It also helps me figure out my day so I can make sure all the things I need to do are built in. You don't wanna just pass out on the couch or crash into bed. That's not a good sign. You wanna know when your bedtime is, your body will naturally start to meet that and follow that and keep that all the time. So here's a quote. A regular bedtime is a component of a normal circadian rhythm, which governs the times of day you are naturally more tired. Throwing off your rhythm by constantly going to sleep at different times can make you feel sleepier when you're awake and have more trouble falling asleep when you're ready. So you got to go to bed at the same time. Now they say, here's another thing, you should try not to deviate from usual sleep schedule by more than an hour or two. So there's like a little bit of a standard deviation, 
of plus or minus about one or two hours. You can go to bed about an hour or two early, an hour or two later, but just be very thoughtful. I don't want people necessarily anxiously watching the clock, but you do want to be aware of how much sleep am I getting? Am I going to bed at the same time? Also, we said this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> just like you don't want to just crash into bed, you don't want to just crash into bed and have your eyes glued to the phone to the last second you fall asleep. Way back in the day, I remember this. I had a roommate who would always fall asleep with their phone in their hand because they were literally scrolling and looking at social media until they passed out. It's a very activated state with which to try to go to sleep, right? Not just the light, but also the topics. It's also a sign of boredom and disconnection. You know, we're always trying to seek stimulation over and over to the point of just passing out. So you do want to take a break off the phone a certain length of time prior to going to bed. And that again is about the excessive light, the blue light that your phone emits, and messes with, with your ability to sleep. But also, and they don't necessarily always talk about this, but the impact of the topics you're looking at. Whether it's shame, whether it's guilt, whether it's excitement, whatever you're looking at is not neutral, it's having an impact. And that's gonna support or get in the way of a good night's sleep. And you wanna be aware of that. So I, I tell people, leave, get an old school alarm clock, leave your phone out of your bedroom. When you go to bed, be done with it. Have a certain time of night where you're off your phone. I mean, yeah, it's okay to just be fully present in a movie or TV show or reading. It's okay to be fully present to your loved one before bed. I tell couples, no phones in the bedroom, get an old school alarm clock, or at least don't use it ever in the bedroom, but maybe use it as your alarm clock if you don't you know, have the finances to get a new alarm clock. But don't be using it in the bedroom. There's no need. Unless you're on call, and few of us are, you do not need to be checking your phone every hour on the hour or even more than that. Have your a certain time. There's a certain time of night where I'm done with my phone and I'm not reachable anymore, period. I'm off the clock. No one can reach me. I'm done for the night. Now it's about self-care and my mental health, which has to come before everything. So I tell people, focus on that. Have a time where you cut off the phone. This is also something that comes up with a lot of couples. I can't tell you how many relationships are in trouble because they're both feeling disconnected or upset because they're not available. Now, know this. If I'm sitting next to someone watching television, they are available to me and we're having a shared experience. Sitting next to someone while we're on our phones is not a shared experience at all, and they're not available to me if I need them. They're disconnected and they're distracted. It is not the same thing. I'd rather couples have be off their phones. It's quote unquote time to turn off the phones. It is now couple time or alone time, and you're available and you're having shared experiences. That's important. Um, okay, let's take a break here, and then when we come back, we're gonna kind of close out talking about all the things we need to do to improve our sleep. But as you're noticing, this is really a conversation about improving our mental health and also working on our relational health. Because the phones are consistently something that is addressed when I'm doing couples or marital therapy in my office as a complaint. Because it really does distract us. Because as we've talked about, you cannot do more than one thing at a time. We'll come back and pick up on that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And essentially we're talking about couples therapy. We're talking about intimacy. We're talking about connection all through the lens of sleep. And that's why I love mental health is you can pick the lens of anything, nutrition, exercise, sleep, your body, and we can unpack our own mental health based on our relationship to these things. And um, phones are now a powerful intimacy blocker. We now know neurologically you cannot multitask. The transition is distracting and decreases your competence, but you also can't focus on multiple things at one time as deeply and as present as one thing. And I tell people all the time, one thing at a time. If you're gonna be on your phone, be on your phone. If you're gonna be watching a movie, watch a movie. If you need to go on your phone, pause the movie and go on it and then put it down and come back. 
I've told you this before, to nauseam, I'll say to people, I'll wait. I will not talk to someone while they're also on their phone or checking something. I always say, I'll wait. Yeah. And I want people to do that. I want couples to do that. I don't want them to be fighting over someone looking at something on their IG. That's ridiculous. People come first. People come before everything. It's called being relational. That's our mental health, our relational health. And we need to stop putting phones and all these other factors before people, right? And it's something that a lot of couples are fighting about. And I'm telling all of them, institute and implement time of night. And I want solo individuals to do this as well, where, oh, excuse me, where you're no longer on your phone. There's a time of night where the phones go down and now we're present in our lives and to the people around us, or maybe we're at least using our phone just to call or FaceTime someone, but no texting, no scrolling, no swiping. It's you time, especially if it's before bed, but more importantly, it's couples time. You have a right to ask for that. And if not, you really want to look at what does that mean if my partner's not willing to give me that, right? Um, so other things that are going to keep us from getting our best night's sleep, intensely working out right before bed, right? Oh, I love that. Remember, if we're activated or stimulated, whether depending on what we're watching or listening to or working out, that's going to get in the way of being able to drop and ease into sleep. Also eating a lot right before bed. We don't necessarily always talk about that. People drink coffee or Red Bull and they'll say, no, I'm fine. I'll still sleep. Well, you might be able to fall asleep, but your quality and restfulness is not going to be the same. And remember, it's not just how many hours you're sleeping. The quality matters as well. We all have slept for eight or nine hours and woken up feeling like, did I even just sleep? All that matters. Also, alcohol before bed. Yeah, alcohol might knock you out, but it blocks the REM sleep. And that's what people don't understand. They're like, oh, I get tired and I fall asleep. Yes, helps you get to sleep, but it doesn't help you get to the important state while sleeping and stay asleep. It only drops you. Alcohol blocks REM sleep, which is the most important part of sleep because it's the restorative part of sleep. So that's, that's the issue. And that's why the people that are always drinking, uh, when I work with people that are dealing with a relationship they have with alcohol, that's part of it, is they aren't familiar with a good night's sleep. It's fascinating. They're used to operating at a lower level, you know? And then when they get rid of it, all of a sudden, bam, they're like, whoa, I feel so restored. That's right, because you've reprioritized that. That's meaningful because what we're trying to do is we're just trying to develop a better relationship to ourselves and to our lives around us. And we have these factors. And when I'm working with a couple, I always check in on them either directly or indirectly. And we call them intimacy buffers. And the phone is one. The television can sometimes be at one. The computer can be one. It's all the things we use to make ourselves not fully present to ourselves, to other people in our lives, our marriage, right? We've talked about this. You come home from work. Are, do you pause and greet each other or are you talking while you're cooking or talking while you're checking your email, right? We need that eye contact. We need that touch and the phone use and some television use and some computer use blocks and gets in the way of that prior to having technology like that. When we didn't have computers or at least laptops, when we didn't have cell phones, we had closer, deeper levels of intimacy. We also only had a house phone. We weren't always even reachable. People would take the phone off the hook. We actually apologized for reaching out to someone after dinner time. Now people will flood you with texts and emails whenever they want. There's no boundaries, boundarylessness. And I do want to talk about that at some point. Uh, maybe in tomorrow's show we'll talk about, or actually maybe we'll come back and talk about it. There's an important piece of research that came out um, on our complete availability from email all the time and the mental health impact it's having. Maybe we'll do that in the next segment because I think it was really valuable. It kind of was like a sucker punch to me. You know, like I talk a lot about these things because mental health is really about boundary setting. Mental health is really about, again, looking at the impact things are having on you. 
right? And there are a lot of the things that are getting in the way are problematic. We've normalized. Like I said, it's not odd for you to see someone having a conversation with someone else while they're on their phone. We, we have to stop letting that be the case or normalizing that, right? We've normalized family members missing out on each other's lives because of work. No, that's not okay. We've had people miss out on participating in their lives or even on a date fully because of their workout routine, because of all the body dysmorphia and the eating disorders. I hear people constantly normalizing disordered eating by saying, oh, I'm fasting, I have a cheat day, I'm counting macros. It's like, whoa, you are building anxiety around your diet. That is not what food is for, right? And Gwyneth Paltrow was just getting slammed for taking the principles of intuitive eating, which are a healing resource for people who have disordered eating and relationships with their body. And they're learning to reconnect with their body's uh, signals of hunger and satiation. And she's misusing it saying, oh, intuitive fasting. Oh my God, no, we don't need that. That's a misuse of that principle. That's confusing to people, you know? But we normalize these things. And my, my job, I swear this year, I'm digging deep and I'm really getting everyone back to basics of mental health. We have to. This past year, past years, I mean, culturally, we've never valued mental health enough, ever, ever. Few people go to therapy. We don't even have a great access to good therapy often. We love physical health, but we ignore mental health. We even ignore mental health to the detriment when we think we're working on physical health. But this past year has been especially heinous. It's been so much harder on everyone because of all that's happening, right? So we have to come back to a place we've never been, but we direly need, which is centering mental health. And that's to the, that's to the disruption of a lot of important things in our lives, but we have to do it anyway. And that's what I say, the most meaningful changes we'll make often will be disruptive to our patterns and habits. And that's how you know that you're really, really you know, changing and transforming. So let's take a break. When we come back, I'll talk about that study that was related to email. Came out of France. It's beautiful stuff. It was also covered in um, The New Yorker. Yep. All right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. And um, in our last segment, I was teasing an article that I read. I love when topics just kind of flow from one to the other. And this was about email and how emails are making us miserable and they're actually tanking our mental health. And again, we have to prioritize our mental health. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult. Not everyone's gonna say, ah, thank you for setting a boundary with me. Thank you for prioritizing your mental health. We do it anyway. Remember, when you set a boundary, you also have to hold it. Most people will try to jump over it, knock it down, trample it. It's not really a sign of them being healthy. Um, but in an, an attempt to be better workers or work more efficiently, we've actually really gotten away from our basic human rights. Um, we don't have boundaries. Now, about three or four years ago, a French labor law went into effect that attempted to preserve the right to disconnect. Companies, I love this, companies with 50 or more employees were required to negotiate specific policies about the use of email after work hours with the, with the goal of reducing the time that workers spend in their inboxes on evenings or the weekends. Your weekends and evenings are yours. And now I'm using the lens of a normal nine to five job. You have to kind of invert it or flip it as it goes, but your evenings and weekends are yours. We shouldn't have to be doing homework. We shouldn't have to be accessible for work emails or calls. That's our private downtime. We have a right to set a boundary around that. I don't like the idea that we've normalized having complete access from colleagues and bosses at all times. That is not good for your mental health. You have a right to be disconnected and focusing on your personal private life and your self-care. Again, there was a time before we had phones and email where 
that was just normal. People again would apologize for calling you at home after dinner time. Now, they just fire off demands and texts at all times, thinking somehow that they can just take control of your weekend or your nights. I'm pushing back on homework as well. Kids need that those afternoons, nights, and weekends to live their damn lives with their friends, their family members. We were talking about how many hours a week a child needs to be outdoors. We don't even get close to that. We're so obsessed with work. Our worth and our value is tied to work and it's tanking our mental health and never giving people's psyches or nervous systems a break. People have to be allowed to disconnect from all that when they're not on the clock. The, for the France had to literally put a law into place, a labor law saying you can only hold them accountable to work hours. That is, that's, that's the labor. You know, I mean, we have so much cultural work to do. We have child labor laws. Why? Because we inherently know we would take advantage of children in their labor without laws. <laughs> so that was to reduce burnout. That was the Ministry of Labor who justified the law. Um, but it points to a larger, ubiquitous, universal problem, right? So I'm trying to find some more uh, gems from this article because I think this was meaningful. I put on my social media and I got flooded with people saying, thank you, I'm relating to this. I need to figure out how to prioritize this. So here's, a, here's another zinger. The study found that reported exposure to high information and communication technology demands, which basically means that, that, that need to be connected, that you know, assumption of that is associated with op, suboptimal mental health and health outcomes. Understandably, because you're always stressed, right? And you're anxiously checking. Um, I'm in a relationship with someone who's trying to figure that out, where they're constantly getting asked to do work stuff in their downtime and free time and not paid for it because they're no longer quote unquote on the clock. And it's like, how did we get to a place where we normalize that? You know, and I was telling you, it was even hard for me to cut a certain, to choose a certain hour of night to say, I'm not available anymore. I'm not on call. I can't be available around the clock. It's really hard, right? But many in the business community tend to dismiss the psychological toll from email right? As an incidental side effect caused by bad inbox habits or weak constitution. So basically it blames people. Well, if you were just better with your email, right? But there's deeper forces at play that aren't working for people. And so basically this is the question, or this is the statement. Look around at your life at what's making you stressed. How can we reduce it? How can we remove it? How can we set a boundary and reduce our exposure to it? How can we bring ourselves back? And it always comes back to self-care, setting boundaries, prioritizing joy and pleasure and resting. And not everyone's life is centered in a way where they're empowered or able to demand or access that. And so this is also a call to action for those in higher up positions, parents, teachers, bosses. We have to allow those under us to take care of themselves. They're humans. Burning them out for the sake of just making more money is not rooted in mental health or even human rights, right? We have to push back on that. And you're seeing a lot of that with companies starting to unionize. Uh, do, uh, Dr. Biden, sorry, not not Dr. J uh, uh, President Biden. I, I'm thinking of her in my mind because I was just reading an article about her, actually. It was a great article. I'll, I'll reference it later in the week. But um, he was saying that union, you know, uh, joining a union is an important decision that every employee should have the opportunity to possibly choose. And that's for worker support, you know? So that's just a sign that we're, we're starting to really get back to better value systems. But if you're, if you're feeling as though you're constantly hypervigilant, on high alert and anxious, it might be the email.
Um, I've recommended for many people that they move the email icon to further back screen pages on their phone so that when they first turn it on, they're not always staring at it, right? You have to actually choose to go look at it. I did that. It soothed my anxiety a lot. I wasn't always seeing what else what was coming in or how many emails were coming in. I get flooded with a lot of emails from a lot of different things. And I've had to kind of push, push back on that. You know, like a lot of people, I have a lot of different careers and things moving in my life and they all have to find their place in space, you know? It's tough though, but we'll keep talking about it. It's boundaries, but we gotta do it. It's a mental health issue, right? All right, coming up next, um, we're gonna be closing out the show with some DMs. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And if you wanna check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. It's all there. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and uh, now it's time to slide into those DMs. All right, today's question says, hey, Dr. Chris, do you have any resources for the teen LGBTQIA community? My 13-year-old nephew just came out to his parents. My brother and his wife, who are a little less supportive than I am, I want to help him go through this. Thank you. So who do you need the resources for? Not, not the nephew. The nephew doesn't need to be doing anything. It looks like the parents. Are they asking for resources or are you asking? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know who the resources are for. Um, I would say more importantly, I don't know what city or state you're in. I would find a uh, local, local or as close as you can LGBTQIA center. They offer all sorts of support, including psychotherapy, um, groups for parents, health and mental health services. So I'd get connected to an organization. If the family themselves are struggling, yes, they need that. Um, tons of books. I don't have a specific website that I work with. I don't want to recommend something that I'm not familiar with. Um, some of the LGBTQIA organizations actually aren't trans supportive, right? We have groups like the HRC that historically have not been very trans supportive. So I'm not going to recommend any references or sites or resources. I'm very cautious about doing so. But the best I can offer is to get the family the, the care they need. The, the child came out, the child most likely is building community and if not get them connected, but um, it's on the parents. You know, at a, age 13, your mental health is deeply tied to the health of the people you're spending time around. And if the parents are not supportive, um, you might need to get that 13 year old housing somewhere else because if the parents are homophobic and not doing their job as a parent, which is to be loving and supportive of whoever their child turns out to be, um, which is like a side note, it, it hurts my heart that parents aren't prepared for the possibility of their child being gay or trans. That is part of how the world operates. We need to be prepared, right? Like all parents should be aware that you might have a child who doesn't fulfill the vision you had of cis heteronormativity and your job <laughs> is to be prepared for that possibility, right? And give your child what they need. So if this child is in a toxic family environment, yes, that child might need to be taken out. And I hope you are someone who can maybe house them. So I don't know what resources you're speaking about. I don't know who you want the resources for, but as someone who is helping manage this situation, um, ask the child what they need. I'm hoping they've been connected to community, even at 13. If you're gay or trans, you need gay or trans friends and community. And maybe that's the local, like I said, uh, uh, LGBTQIA center where they do have uh, programs for children. But again, if it's for the parents, there's a lot of resources available there. It might be helpful for them to join a therapy group or some kind of non-professional group that is other parents so they can get support and they can understand what the special needs are. You know, things are better these days, thankfully. Um, gosh, if this was decades ago, there was a lot less support and a lot less resources. But uh, yeah, parents have to be more prepared. We never know what kind of child we're bringing into the world, right? 
and we have to be able to provide the needs um, that they have, not what we have. You know, parenting isn't about us. So I wish parents would step up and be better, but I'm glad that they have you because we do know, stats show, that if a uh, trans or gay child has at least one caring, supportive adult, that significantly reduces both suicidality and mental health struggles, which is really disheartening that that's even a thing at this point in our time. You know, how can everyone else help? Well, the rest of the world and everyone listening can help by trying to call out and dismantle homophobia and also get rid of the whole idea of a closet, the assumption that everyone's straight and that someone who isn't has to come out and define themselves as such. Let's stop assuming that. Um, I made it my plan that I'm not going to assume anyone's anything. And regardless of who I'm talking to, I will use words like your boy or boyfriend or girlfriend. Like I'm not going to assume anyone's anything, right? That's part of how we do the work of dismantling that. You don't make assumptions of about someone's gender, uh, pronouns, or sexual orientation based on just looking at them, right? That's how we do that work. And we have to do that work on a macro and a micro level, right? Micro, literally the people we're interfacing with. Macro, making those larger changes, right? We're seeing that in media, so that's great. That'll help that family start to have another vision and a better understanding of what what life can look like and needs to look like. But um, I'm glad you're asking. That is our show. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. We got a great show planned for you. Uh, we're actually one of the first people to get an interview with Ian Jenkins. He is part of that polyamorous couple, three men, all raising children together. He's got a book coming out. We'll be talking about that tomorrow, as well as getting all of their names on the birth certificate. That is phenomenal. We love hearing things like that happening. So if you've got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Please spend the rest of your night focusing on self-care, joy, pleasure, and tons and tons of rest. And as always, thanks for hanging out. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow night.